Well, over the last number of months, we have been looking at the book of Daniel in our evening services. And I know I probably say this every time we start a new series, but Daniel is one of the most exciting and one of the most well-loved books in the entire Bible. And I'm sure that many of you love it dearly. I'm sure that many of you can remember learning some of the stories from this book whenever you were in Sunday school. I'm sure that some of you maybe were at holiday Bible clubs whenever you were younger and you were sitting on the edge of your seat and you were wondering what's going to happen next. Maybe, for example, the story of Daniel and the lion's den. And you were wondering, is Daniel going to escape or are these lions going to eat Daniel for supper? Or there's the story that we looked at a few weeks ago. You've got these three brave friends, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. You've got this really, really angry king. You've got this blazing hot fiery furnace. And that's exciting. Are they going to survive or are they going to die? And there's so much in this book that is really, really exciting. There's there's danger, there's suspense, there's drama, there's conspiracy, there's bravery. And there's great faith. And then, to top it all off, there's the second half of the book. The first half is full of all of the stories that we remember from Sunday school or holiday Bible club. But the second half of the book, it's not as well known. And I think the reason it's not as well known is it's written in a rather unusual style. Or at least I should say, it's an unusual style for us. Having said that, the second half of the book must be one of the most fascinating and intriguing things that you will ever read. The book of Daniel is very, very special. And like I say, we've been looking at it in our evening services over the last number of months. Tonight, we're going to get back into it after a short break. But as we do that, I'm aware of a couple of things. Uh, The first thing I'm aware of is that it's actually been quite a few years Sorry, quite a few weeks. It hasn't been a few years. It hasn't been as long as that. But it's been a few weeks since we looked at the story of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. I've been away for a couple of Sabbath evenings. And so we haven't been able to look at the story. And so I'm aware that it's maybe not as fresh in many of our minds as we'd perhaps like it to be. Second thing I'm aware of is that I know there are some of you watching this And you haven't actually been at the evening services where we've been looking at the story of Daniel. And so rather than just jumping straight into the book, uh, picking up where we left off, there's two things I'm going to do. The first thing I'm going to do is this evening we're going to look at an overview of the book rather than one particular story. And then the second thing I plan to do is I'm going to send out some summaries of the service so far. So you'll be able to read those summaries, you'll be able to get caught up, and then next week we're going to get back to the main story. Anyway, tonight what we're going to try and do is we're going to try and get a bird's eye view of the book of Daniel. So apologies to some of you who have heard this before, but hopefully it's useful to get this back into our heads again. And so tonight we're going to think about Five very simple questions. Who, what, where, when, and why? So let's start with the first question. What? What is the book of Daniel? So what is the book of Daniel? 
Now, those of you who know me will know that I love watching football. But one of the things that really drives me up the wall whenever it comes to football is the number of commentators who come out with really, really lazy cliches. And they don't actually analyse what's going on, they just spout these often used phrases. And one of the cliches that gets used all the time is when a commentator will describe a match as being a game of two halves. In other words, the first half goes one way, the second half is completely different. Well, if ever there was to be a book of the Bible that you would describe as a book of two halves, it's Daniel. We have got 12 chapters in the book. Uh, The first six chapters are very straightforward. They are full of stories that we love to teach at Sunday school. We love to do at Holiday Bible Club. We've got the lion's den. We've got the fiery furnace. We've got the writing on the wall. The second half is very different. We've got visions. We've got horns. We've got beasts. We've got all sorts of other stuff that just seems downright weird. And the reason for that is that these two halves of the book are written in two very different styles. The first half of the book is the sort of book that we're, we're well used to. You know, we've been looking at First Samuel in our morning services. It's very like First Samuel. Daniel did this. Daniel did that. It's a very straightforward story. It's very easy to follow. Second half, on the other hand, it's very different. The second half of the book is what is called apocalyptic writing. Now, we are not used to that sort of writing But the Jews were. And the Jews would have read this hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago in fact. And they would have known perfectly well how you're supposed to read a book like this. They would have known that it's full of concepts that are very difficult to grasp. And so rather than telling us those concepts, it shows us those concepts. In many ways, it's a bit like a picture book. And they would have known that the key thing to bear in mind whenever you read that sort of literature is that you're not to get bogged down with the details. You're to try and see the big picture. You know, if if I was reading, say, a storybook with with Caleb, and I didn't know the story could be about an, an elephant, and the elephant has lost its teddy bear, and it's looking for this teddy bear... I would be missing the point if I start asking why the elephant's wearing a red hat or why the elephant is wearing blue shoes because that is not what picture books are all about. We're not supposed to get worked up by all of the intricate details and it's the same with the second half of Daniel. We're not to get worked up with what the second horn is on the ram by the canal in chapter 8, you know, we're, we're not to spend loads and loads of time wondering why the leopard has four wings rather than three wings or five wings. I'm not saying we're not to take it seriously, but what we're supposed to do is we're to take the big principle behind the book and we're to let that sink in. And the big principle of the entire book of Daniel is very, very simple. God wins. That's really all there is to it. God wins. God has these huge, powerful, scary enemies. It's difficult to be a believer. It is difficult to stand up against them. But God wins. So that's our first question. What is the book of Daniel? 
It's a book about the victory of the one true God. Second question we want to look at is when? When does this book happen? And we have the answer to that right at the very start. Chapter 1 and verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah. Another way of putting that would be 605 BC. Now, I realise that's not a period of history that we're terribly familiar with. It's very unlikely that you've learned about 605 BC in school, for example. But it was a very, very dramatic time. Uh, Just to summarise, for for several hundred years there had been a heavyweight contest going on. Egypt and Assyria were sworn enemies. They were the superpowers of the day. They both wanted to rule. They both wanted to be the best. And they were both able to wipe the floor with just about every other nation. And for years there was this big question. Who is going to win this enormous battle? Who is going to become the most powerful nation on the planet? Well, the answer was neither. Because a new and even more dangerous nation rose up. That nation was Babylon. That nation had a really inspirational king. His name was Nebuchadnezzar. It had a terrifying army and it swept everybody in its path. And whenever this book was written, or shortly after, or shortly before this book was written, Egypt and Assyria, they were actually so terrified of Babylon that they buried the hatchet, they joined together, and they tried to fight to put a stop to Babylon. You know, that would be a bit like the USA and Russia joining forces today. And Babylon absolutely trounced them. And so there is no question at this point who the nation with the most power is. There's no question as to who the superpower of the day is. It's it's Babylon. The most powerful nation in the world. Third question we want to ask, where? Where does the book of Daniel take place? And again, we see this right at the very start. It is 605 BC And Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon. He has trounced the Assyrians, he's trounced the Egyptians, and now it's Judah's turn. We see in verse 1, Nebuchadnezzar comes to Jerusalem, he besieges it. We see in verse 2 that Nebuchadnezzar wins. And then he takes away the treasures from the temple and he takes them off to Babylon. But notice it's not just the treasures, it's also the people. Nebuchadnezzar rounds up the most important, the most talented people in Jerusalem and he marches them off to Babylon. And Daniel is one of these people. And everything that happens to Daniel in this book happens hundreds of miles away from home. It happens in a strange foreign land. Daniel has all sorts of new customs he's going to have to learn. He has a new language he's going to have to master. He has a new king he's going to have to obey. He has new food he has to get used to. Some of you will know what that's like better than others. Some of you watching have moved from one culture to a radically different one. Some of you have had a whole new way of life to adapt to. And it's been hard going. But imagine you had to do that 
not by choice, but because you're forced to. Imagine having to do that as a hostage in a foreign country. Imagine knowing that if you don't walk and talk in the right way, you're going to be in massive trouble. Imagine not simply moving to a country where people do things a bit differently, but imagine moving to a country where every aspect of day-to-day life is disgusting and vile. Imagine moving to a country that is designed to destroy the very things that you believe and that you think. That is where the book of Daniel takes place. A foreign, godless country. Fourth question. Who is the book of Daniel about? Well, no prizes for guessing. The clues in the name, it's all about Daniel. What do we learn about Daniel in this book? Well, we learn plenty. He's wise. He's brave. He's hardworking. He is willing to stand up in front of incredibly angry kings. He's willing to tell them things that they do not want to hear. We learn that Daniel is a man of prayer and we learn that he's not willing to let anything get in the way of serving his God. He's a great man. And that's going to be increasingly obvious as we go through the book. And yet, whenever we read or whenever we meet Daniel for the first time, he's a young boy. Most writers agree that at the start of the book, Daniel was probably a teenager. In fact, some writers reckon he was probably around about 14 years old. I mean, can you imagine that? You're 14 years old, and already you have seen war. You haven't even done your junior search yet, and already you have seen your country being invaded and taken over. If Daniel lived in Ireland today, he wouldn't actually be old enough to see movies all about war. Wouldn't be old enough to go to the cinema. But but Daniel has already seen his home city being conquered. He's seen Jerusalem being crushed by the Babylonians. I mean, imagine what it must be like to be 14 years old and to see members of your own family being murdered. Imagine being marched forcibly 500 miles away from home. Imagine living in a country where the king is an absolute psychopath. And imagine knowing that he can have you killed any second, any time he likes. Imagine living in a country that is completely different from your home in every imaginable way. Imagine being forced into a school system where you are brainwashed every single day. Imagine the teachers in your school trying to undo everything that you have learned at home. I think that's that's possibly the most amazing thing about the book of Daniel. Yes, he was a godly man. Yes, he was a faithful man. And yet... He wasn't some ready-made superhero. At the start of the book, he was barely more than a boy. Who is this book all about? It's all about Daniel. Well, question five then. Why study Daniel? Why study Daniel? Well, for one thing, it gives us a great example to follow. 
Daniel shows us how to stay faithful. He shows us how to resist temptation. He shows us how to pray. He shows us how to work. He shows us how to be a friend. But there's actually a more important reason why we're looking at this book together. The reason we're looking at this book is that Daniel's situation and our situation aren't actually as different as we maybe think. In this book, it looks very much like God has made a massive mistake. God has promised the Jews a land where they're going to live. He has given them a nation to call their own. And that nation has been completely destroyed. We see in verse 2, Nebuchadnezzar takes the treasure from the temple and he takes it to the temple of one of his false gods. It's a disaster, isn't it? What's going on here? What is the message that this sends to the world? Well, it's very simple. God has lost. And yet, there's a key verse right at the very start of the chapter. It's verse 2 of chapter 1. Who is it who delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into Nebuchadnezzar's hand? It's the Lord. It's God. God hasn't lost it. God is in complete control. And that's the lesson that's going to come through again and again. Sometimes it looks as if God has lost control. People aren't very interested in coming to church. We see that in our modern society. We live in a country today that has screwed up its nose at God again and again. Our country has tried to change the definition of marriage. Our country has brought in abortion. Think of all of the things that are going on in our world today. Things that actually you don't hear about in the news at the minute, but they're still going on. There's terrorism. There's war. The leaders of the free world, well, the less said about them, the better. It looks like God has lost it. And of course today, with all of the developments with coronavirus, it looks even more like things have spiralled out of control. And yet, the book of Daniel tells us again and again, God is still on the throne. There is no amount of blasphemy, there is no amount of armies, no amount of lobbyists, no amount of coronavirus even, that can possibly change the fact that God is in control. Just like Daniel, there will be times when we're tempted to despair. I'm sure that many of you have despaired over the last two weeks. Just like Daniel, there will be times when being a Christian is difficult and we're tempted to give up. Or at the very least, we're tempted to keep our heads down. Or we're tempted to water down our faith. Just like Daniel, there will be times when we're tempted to just maybe curl up into a ball. We feel so despondent by everything that's going on around us that we just don't have any motivation to do anything much at all. The book of Daniel reminds us that would be a mistake. God is still in control. And the book of Daniel challenges us. If God can work in this incredibly mighty way in a 14-year-old boy who has been carted off 
and has become a prisoner hundreds of miles away from home. Surely God can work in us as well. If God can work in somewhere as godless and as vile and disgusting as Babylon, surely God can work in 21st century Ireland. If God can work in the midst of war and disaster and destruction, surely God can work in the midst of a pandemic. Why read the book of Daniel? Not just because it's an exciting story, not just so we can be amazed by these characters and their faith, but more importantly, so we can be amazed by the God who doesn't change, and so we can have hope that he will work in us as we seek to follow the Lord Jesus Christ in the situation that we are in today. Well, let's come before God and let's pray. Our Father, we praise you because you are the God who has not changed. We praise you because you were on the throne before the Babylonians invaded. We praise you because you were on the throne after they invaded. And we praise you because you were on the throne even through the invasion. Father, we praise you because... You were able to work through Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. You were able to uphold your people in the most difficult of circumstances. And you were able to accomplish marvellous things through them. Father, we pray that you would help us to take this to heart. Help us as we get back into the book of Daniel next week. Help us to be excited by the story, but help us as well to see ourselves and our own situation. Help us to look at the things that discourage us, the things that frighten us, and help us to realise that you have seen these things before. Help us to realise that just as you worked in these men thousands of years ago, you can easily work in us as well. Father, we pray that you would encourage us as we get back into the book of Daniel. We pray that you would excite us as we think of the avenues of service that you have opened up for us. We pray, Father, that you would help us to keep on going, not in our strength, not in our wisdom, but in the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ, the strength that kept these friends going and the strength that will keep us going as we seek to be faithful followers today. Father, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.